may be seated. A minister, not this one, wanted to begin an evangelism training program to equip his congregation how to minister the gospel to the lost in their community and then actually to encourage them to minister. And so he did what every pastor worth his salt does. He he had his secretary develop a sign-up card and distributed it to the congregation, right? That's how you do it. And so he gave us a sufficient amount of time, and he was waiting back for the responses. And would you know, in this congregation, no one responded. And he was just shocked. What Christian would not want to learn how to minister the gospel to the lost? Well, he did some uh, research and began talking to members of the congregation you know, seeking to find an answer to this perplexing issue of no one signing up for the evangelism training program. And basically what he heard from his congregation was this. Why ask us to learn how to minister the gospel? That's why we hired you. Thankfully... I've not heard that here at Covenant, but that is a troubling response, and it is one that the Apostle Paul shows as being contrary to Scripture in the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians. So let's turn there, Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll read from verse 7 to verse 16, and before we do, let me pray for us. Father, I pray for us that the dear folks gathered here might give their full attention to your word. God, the Holy Spirit, that you might open our hearts to receive your word and so conform us to it, that you might work in my life and make me faithful as a pastor teacher, as one who is given the charge to Declare your word to this, your people, that I would be faithful and that you would guard the words of my mouth, that they would be consistent with your word. Father, we, I pray that you might show us that we are ministers together here at Covenant for the building up of your church in unity. Praying this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 7, chapter 4, Ephesians. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro 
by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love, the Word of God. Last week, we explored Paul's exhortation in the first six verses of chapter 4, where he exhorted, he urged the Ephesians and us uh, to walk worthy in the manner in which we have been called. And we reflected upon Paul's use of that, that term, the calling to which you've been called, really being about unity as in chapter 2 and also in chapter 3, he really drilled down on the fact that we have been redeemed, yes, individually, but we've also been redeemed corporately, and we are one body, one new humanity, one church. And so the framework of what Paul is saying here in chapter 4, the backdrop, if you will, is unity. And today the Apostle Paul gives us instruction about how we are to participate in building unity in the church of Jesus Christ. And the way he tells us every member to build unity is through the exercise of spiritual gifts. Now, I am not going to comprehensively deal with the topic of spiritual gifts. We'd be here all day. I simply want to focus on three principles that I see in this text. First, spiritual gifts are Christ-centered. Second, spiritual gifts are not only Christ-centered, but they are other-centered. And then thirdly, spiritual gifts are are love-centered. And so our, our theme today really could be one in Christ, but diverse in gifts. And that's where I came up with the title, A Diverse One. And so that's our topic for today, spiritual gifts, but very narrowly focused on these three principles. Some people overestimate their importance to a company, to uh, a group, to an organization, and in so doing, they can create all kinds of uh, problems uh, for that organization. But the same thing applies to the church. Church members can overestimate their importance to the church. And the result oftentimes is disunity. And we have an example of this in Scripture, don't we? Look at the church in Corinth. That church was a mess. Anything but unity. And one of the primary reasons I believe there was disunity, there were multiple reasons, but one is the fact that some members believed they were more important than other members because of the spiritual gift that they had. In some of those cases, it was the gift of speaking in tongues, whatever that meant 
in that first century church. And so Paul shows us in this passage today that spiritual gifts are not man-centered like I think many in, in Corinth understood spiritual gifts, but quite the opposite, spiritual gifts are Christ-centered. They are his, and he shares them with us. We find this in verse 7, where Paul refers to grace given from Christ, and then he says, according to the measure of Christ's gift. You know, we don't have any right to say, I want this gift over that gift. We don't have any right to say, Jesus, I refuse that gift. We don't have any right to go about trying to trade spiritual gifts with one another in the church. We do not even merit spiritual gifts in and of ourselves. But Christ gives them, Christ bestows them according to his measure, according to his will and his plan to accomplish his purposes for the church. And I believe at the very heart of the purpose of Christ for the church and the words here of the Apostle Paul, it is that the church would be as they are in Christ one unity. Think of a construction contractor who is tasked with building this great project and so he goes about deciding what types of skills are needed to accomplish the project. He goes about choosing the tradesmen and tradeswomen to accomplish those skills. He makes those decisions. He decides how to build this building and the workers that are needed according to the measure of him, the contractor. However, the analogy that I'm making between Jesus bestowing gifts and a contractor gathering his workers to do this project falls short for this reason. We do not go about trying to learn a spiritual gift so that we can use it. A tradesman learns a skill and then he uses it. But that's not the case with spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are bestowed upon the believer, given to the believer. Jesus is the one who says, you get this gift, and you get that get gift, and I get this gift. He, according to his plan and his will, perfectly apportions and bestows those gifts to accomplish his purpose of his church growing in him as a unified church. And look what he says in verse 7 also. Each one of us is given this gift, a specific gift, so that we can do our part in building unity. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, one of the major passages about spiritual gifts, and in verse 11, Paul says, All these gifts 
are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. See, that's what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 4. And then the Apostle Paul in verses 9 through 10 supports what he has just said by appealing to the Old Testament. And you may... You know, as, as we read this, you might be thinking, what in the world is all this business about ascending and descending? And what does that have to do with spiritual gifts? Well, I'll tell you what it has to do with spiritual gifts. It's really amazing what the Apostle Paul does. He quotes Psalm 68, verse 18 that Jim read just a few minutes, minutes ago. And that whole psalm is about God waging war against his enemies and moving from atop Mount Sinai, descending down all the way and ascending up to Jerusalem where he is enthroned in victory. And then the psalmist says, like any conquering king, tribute is brought to him. Men come and give gifts to him. And that's what Psalm 68 is telling us. It's celebrating the, the victorious God sitting upon his throne having conquered his enemies. And Paul applies this here in Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 9. For he refers to he also descended into the lower parts. Jesus descending in humiliation, voluntarily submitting himself to descending to the lower part. And what is that lower part? It's the cross. Ultimate humiliation. And he did that, of course, to redeem his people. And then in verse 9, that he ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And this points to the exaltation and ascension of Christ where he sits again at the right hand of the Father, the enthroned in heaven victoriously. And then look at verse 8. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. We read about that in Psalm 68, didn't we? But then something changes here. Verse 8 again. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Notice the change. In Psalm 68, those who were led came, and they gave gifts to the enthroned God. And here it is the enthroned Jesus who gives gifts to these captives that have been led. And who are the captives that have been led? It is the redeemed, you and me. And what are these gifts but the spoils of war? Every conquering king has a right to plunder the enemy and gather the spoils of war and possess them. And here, think of it like this, dear friends, the fruit of Christ waging war against sin and death and Satan and gaining the victory, the fruit of his victory he shares with us as people and I would commend to you what the apostle Paul is saying here is that these spiritual gifts are the spoils of the victory of Christ that he shares with his church to accomplish his purpose in the church 
growing and building and flourishing as one. Isn't that beautiful? These gifts, in no uncertain terms, are Christ-centered, aren't they? They're not man-centered. They're not our gifts. They're his gifts that he shares with us by grace to bless his people. Spiritual gifts are not only Christ-centered, but they're also other-centered. You know, as I look at just the whole topic of spiritual gifts, it really is a mind-boggling thing to to kind of get your hands around. I mean, there's the biblical text, right? But then there's all of the differences of opinions about this gift and that gift, ceasing and not ceasing. How do we... But as we look at spiritual gifts, the Bible is very clear in passages like Romans 12, 3 through 8 and verse 1, first, first, or Romans 12, 3 through 8, and then 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10 and verse 28, and Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, that there are between 15 and 20 spiritual gifts depending on who's talking about them and who's teaching about them. And though we may disagree on which gifts have ceased, and some have ceased, no doubt, and how, how do we understand some gifts? Yet it is clear that as we look at, at the, these, this list of gifts that we find in the Bible, that the general principle we see in the scriptures is that each gift is, is equally important. And that means that each believer who has that gift is equally important. One of my summer jobs in college was working at uh, a textile mill, and it was a huge plant. And this was my job. I worked the third shift. (laughs) And for eight hours in the middle of the night, I would go to a knitting machine and take a big bolt of fabric that had been produced and take them to the room where they would be stored, examined, and then shipped off. It was the most boring, unsatisfying job in all the world. Eight hours, back and forth, and back and forth. But think about this. If there wasn't a guy like me, and that's another reason I stayed in college, by the way. (laughs) If there wasn't a guy like me, who for eight hours would take a bolt. And by the way, this plant worked 24 hours a day, only closed down one week a year. So there was a whole lot of fabric being made there. If there weren't guys like me who on each shift would take the bolt of fabric to that room where it was stored, examined, and shipped, the company would go out of business. Think about it. If they can't get the the bolt of fabric from the machine, to where it's ultimately delivered to the customer, companies aren't going to make any money. And as I reflected upon this, I thought to myself, good grief, every job in that plant, even the most menial of jobs was essential for the business of that plant. And I would commend to you that it's the same with spiritual gifts. 
They are all, each one is important. And the one who possesses that gift is as important as the other one. They're essential for the business of the church growing in unity and prospering under its head, Christ. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 through 20. Listen to this. And by the way, in reading this passage, you know, I had hand surgery and my thumb was involved in this surgery and I, I was absolutely amazed at how dependent I am on my little pinky. I could not unscrew a cap from a jar because my little pinky was hurting <laughs> and was out of service. Do you ever think about your pinky or your little toe? This, you don't think about it until you do something and you go, oh my goodness, I really do use that thing. And then the Apostle Paul uses the body, the human body here, as a way to say every single spiritual gift is equally important. So here you go. For the body does not consist of one member but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So important. And all were a single member. Where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body one in diversity. Well, now let's look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. And here we have the Apostle Paul highlighting four spiritual gifts. And it would be easy for us to think, wait a minute, the, the Apostle Paul, having said all this stuff about each gift being equally important, but yet he seems to highlight four gifts, and is he making these gifts more important than all the others? Is he establishing a hierarchy of gifts here? And I would say absolutely not. What the Apostle Paul is doing is using these four gifts as an example of how all the gifts are other-centered. And so he specifies the gift of capital A apostle, that is to say a sent one, one of the twelve who saw Jesus was commissioned by Jesus and sent out. And obviously that, that capital A apostle gift has ceased, but he lists it. And then there's the capital P prophet. We find in, in the Old Testament and New Testament that they were, they were prophets, capital P. They represented God. They, God gave them his word, and they, they represented God to the people as his uh, spokesman. Through them, God's word was revealed. Well, obviously, that gift, capital P, prophet, and capital A, apostle, has ceased with the close of the New Testament. But in a sense, these gifts still exist today. I think they do, and a little A apostle since we can think of missionaries and church planters who are sent out. When we look at a, a little P prophet, a prophet in an unofficial sense, but, but we think of those individuals who are gifted at instructing others in the Word of God, representing what has already been revealed in God's Word to 
others. And then the gift of evangelists, which is a gift I think is still active uh, today. That, of course, every, every believer is responsible to share the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. Would you, you agree with, with that? But yet this gift is a special gift that someone has where they able to, in a very unique way, engage culture and, and the loss and declare Christ. And, and I tend to uh, think of church planters and RUF ministers, Joshua, as having that capacity as evangelists. In fact, we give our church planters the power of the evangelist to go about. And then, then we have this gift of, the ESV says shepherd and teacher. But I believe this is one gift. Most of us understand it as pastor-teacher. And that would be a gift that is active today. You know, think of your elders, both ruling and teacher. So I would be a pastor-teacher. The members of our session would would fit, I believe, under that heading of pastor and teacher. These, these men who are ordained to handle God's word faithfully in the life of the congregation. Paul is not setting a hierarchy here, but simply using these gifts as examples of how the spiritual gifts are other-centered. And these four gifts... And the Apostle Paul's mind shows that very well. Let's look at verses 12 through 14, because I think in verses 12 through 14, the Apostle Paul shows us how these, these four gifts that are rooted in the ministry of the Word are other-centered. And, and I want to speak primarily about the gift of pastor-teacher, the last one that's listed in that, in that list of four. And in verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, the pastor-teacher, let's just say, is to equip others, the saints, listen, for the work of ministry. You hired me, you have elected ruling elders to equip you to be ministers to build up the body. That's what verse 12 is telling us here. And then in verse 13, we're shown that the main focus of the pastor teacher and these other gifts that are about ministry of the word in verse 13 is to equip the saints to attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God now notice what Paul says here he doesn't say faith in the sense of I believe in Jesus but he says the faith that is Christian truth Christian orthodoxy and so the gift of pastor teacher is centered on Ministry of the word, declaring and instructing in the faith, the truth represented in the Bible. And notice also what Paul says, that to attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And I think we can say here the knowledge of the Son of God is understood and not only knowing about Jesus, knowing the things about Jesus, knowing the gospel but knowing Jesus personally and savingly. But also notice what he says. Unity of the faith and unity of the knowledge of God. Well, have you ever heard this? Doctrine is divisive. Have you ever heard that? 
I hear it often, not from you, but from just people I engage, maybe from other churches. Doctrine is divisive, not to Paul. (laughs) What he says here is that the unity of doctrine and the, the knowledge of the Son of God is edifying and builds up the church. And one of the the blessings that I see here at Covenant is that we have a doctrinal standard, the Westminster Confession of Faith. We have unity in what we believe as a church. We have the historic creeds of the Christian faith. We recited one this morning, the Apostles' Creed. And we have unity in, in reciting that together. This is what I believe. This is what we believe as the church. And dear friends, one of the lessons that I I see here in Ephesians 4 is that unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God is edifying and builds unity, not divisive. And what a joy it is for me, for us, to be of one mind on the truth of the Scriptures. And that is part of the ministry focus of the pastor-teacher. Exhorting, instructing, encouraging, teaching, preaching the truths of the Bible. That we all might be of one mind and grow towards unity as a church. Attaining unity in the faith and the knowledge of God and of Jesus matures the church. That's what, that's what we learn in this passage. It matures the church. It brings children into adulthood. And what is the goal of attaining this maturity? The goal is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Do you see that? In our text today, in verse 13, that's the ideal. That is what we all should aspire to, to know the faith and to have the knowledge of the Son of God to that extent that it would be the measure of the stature or the fullness of God. We aspire to that knowing we'll fall short of that. But that is how we should Minister, those of us who have the gift of pastor, teacher, spurring the congregation on to that level of unity in the faith and the knowledge of God. And then the Apostle Paul shows us the necessity and the importance of this gift. Look at verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You know, these gifts that are rooted in word ministry, if they are not exercised, the church will suffer. False doctrine will creep in. False philosophies will creep in. False practices will creep in. And there will not be unity. There will be disunity. And the church will suffer. 
And what I would suggest to you that you could take each of the other gifts, the gifts of service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, showing mercy, wisdom, faith, help, administration. You can take each of those gifts and show the same pattern and the same importance to the vitality and the building up of the church in unity. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that these gifts are bestowed by Jesus. They're Christ-centered to accomplish his purpose in unity. And they're other-centered because those who possess that gift are to use them to build up others. That's the point that the Apostle Paul is making here. And then as we come to the last couple of verses... We, we see that these gifts are not only Christ-centered and other-centered, but also they are love-centered. The manner of exercising these, these spiritual gifts, the spiritual gift of pastor, teacher, and all the gifts is, is love. And so, so the Apostle Paul points, I think, primarily to the gift of pastor-teacher here in verse 15, where he says, speak the truth in love. He's continuing that example of pastor-teacher representing, really, how he should understand all of the gifts, how they're to be exercised, others, to others, and the importance of them. And as he continues that example, then we are, we are to understand that every single gift, the manner in which that gift is exercised by you and me, must be love. As I look back over my many years of ministry, there are points where I have said the right thing, I have taught the right thing, but I've been hard about it, I've been condescending about it, I've been judgmental about it. I've preached law at the expense of grace. I have not served you well by being a pastor teacher who exercises his gift in love at certain points in my ministry. You know, in verse 16... The Apostle Paul helps us see that, that we can think of how we exercise our spiritual gift, whatever it may be, that the one who receives that ministry of that gift, what, what, they, what they should hear is, what that gift should represent is this, I love you. You know, as, as you exercise the gift of hospitality, the one who receives that should hear in that gift, you say, I love you. If your gift is administration, you may think, how on earth can administration say I love you? But it does. <laughs> By the way, I have the gift of administration. I really love you. Or maybe you have the gift of leadership. And as you exercise that gift, the people you lead, they hear you say in your exercise of that gift, I love you. And I believe that love, what Paul is saying here is, is, is that love is like that fertile soil 
from which the plants just grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and bear fruit. Spiritual gifts are Christ-centered. The spiritual gifts are for others, other-centered to build up the body. And the manner in which we go about exercising those gifts is to be love. And this has been really convicting to me in how I go about exercising my gifts. Not about me, they're about Jesus. Not for me, they're for you. And what you should receive from me is I love you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, may you sweep upon us as a mighty wind and work in us so that we might A, know our gift and B, use our gift understanding that it's your gift shared with us by grace. It's a gift that we use to bless others and to build up others in the church. And it's a gift that is to be a way we express love for one another. So work in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.